Let's pray together before we go any further in our service. And so, Lord, we thank you for these great hymns of faith, hymns of declaration of our, the power that we have and the assurance that we have. And Lord, you are so good to us. You have not left us without a witness. You sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And he was resurrected and ascended on high and is exalted at your right hand. And you left us your word that we could read in a language that we can understand. And even though it was written a long time ago in, in a culture far different than our own, it was inspired by your Holy Spirit. And you've guided the translators throughout the, the, the centuries. And we have every confidence to believe that your word is, is, is reliable and authentic today. So we come with great expectation to not only sing your praises, but to sit at the feet of Jesus as, as it were, and that he would teach us. Today we, we want your presence to be felt very, very real. And we want you to speak to each one of us. You know what we need, Lord. And we just humbly bow before you because you've told us in your word that if we humble ourselves, you will lift us up. And so, Lord, we have already been lifted up through the songs, but we pray that you'll lift us up now through your word, thanking you in advance for what you're going to do because we ask these things in the name and the power and through the blood of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. How many people want to go to heaven? Oh, I see a few hands out there. <laughs> what would you say that if we had a special bus, a magical bus, that would be outside in the parking lot, and when this service is over, you don't even have to get in your cars, you just get onto the bus, and it's an express bus to heaven, and you would get there today. Now how many people want to go to heaven? Today? Yes. Really? Okay. You have about a half an hour or 45 minutes to make up your mind. So, it, it was in 2004, award-winning country singer George Strait suggested, everybody wants to go to heaven, have a mansion high above the clouds. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. I think I speak for the crowd. Nobody wants to go now. Obviously, he's not speaking for this crowd today. Wow, much better response than last night. Wow, you guys are really great. You're with it. But, you know, we can't decide when we go to heaven. And so, even though we might be willing to go to heaven today, we have still some life to live, don't we? So, how are we going to live until it's time to go to heaven? These are important questions for us today. Ask yourself, do I realize how fragile is my hold on life? Just think of Gloria falling down the steps. It's usually not fatal, but it could have been. Who knows? What if something should happen suddenly and beyond my control? What if the Lord should call me home today? Am I ready to go? We all live on the verge of eternity, as David Brainerd put it so well. David Brainerd's become one of my heroes. He was an American missionary who had a particularly fruitful ministry among the First Nation people of Massachusetts, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. 
and it was during the Great Awakening of the 18th century. He, man, he, he ministered in unimaginably difficult circumstances, exhibiting extraordinary humility and self-denial. David Brainerd had a great love for the glory of God and, a, and a, a concern for the souls of sinners, and it's nothing less than admirable. He so spent himself during, to, to pursue these ends that he died an early death. He lived only eight years as a believer and only four years as a missionary. But he captured this perspective of life that I would like to introduce to us today. This great man of prayer experienced a heightened awareness of the transitory nature of physical existence as he felt himself dying from tuberculosis at the young age of 29. 29. In his final weeks he wrote, and I quote, it is on the verge of eternity I now address you. But let me tell you, eternity is another thing than we ordinarily take it to be in a healthful state. How amazing it is that the living who know they must die should, notwithstanding, put far away the evil in a, se a season of health and prosperity and live at such an awful distance from the familiarity with the grave and the great concern beyond it. How rare are the instances of those who live and act from day to day as on the verge of eternity, striving to fill up all the remaining moments in the service and to the honor of their great master. on the verge of eternity. Each day filled in the service and to the honor of the great master. How, how insightful, how, how challenging. And all these decades, I've been trying to put that into practice ever since I read these words about the verge of eternity each day filled in the service and to the honor and glory of our great master. Now, I'll admit that living on the verge of eternity is not a popular subject. Probably won't be rated in the top 10 of the messages that you have heard. But it's so crucial for those of us who claim to have our, our hope and trust in the resurrected living Jesus Christ. I can still remember an 88-year-old lady from my first ministry, my first pastorate in New Jersey, and this grand, white-haired, stately lady assured me every time I saw her, she wanted me to know that she was ready to meet her Savior. She was ready to go. But, but, if God saw fit to grant her another day of life on this earth, she was eager to tell everyone in the home about God's goodness, love, and mercy. With tears in her eyes, real tears, she would confide her longing to be with Jesus. She wanted to go to heaven, 
But she was quick to affirm, as the Savior did many years before, not my will, but thine be done, O Lord. What a balanced and, and wonderful perspective on life, wouldn't you agree? Ready to go at any time to be with Jesus forever, in a place far better than this, but willing to stay another day, if it's the Lord's will. Another day to serve him. Another day to bring glory to our Lord. Ready to go, willing to stay. Is that your attitude these days? Is that your perspective on life? Ready to go, the bus is waiting. But then we don't have that choice, do we? So are you ready to stay as long as it's the Lord's will for you? The Apostle Paul describes this perspective when he declares in Philippians 1.21, for me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. You might say, that verse sounds vaguely familiar. What, how did I learn it? Oh, I learned it for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. But I like the newer translation, too. It opens it up just a little bit more for me and maybe for you as well. So let me read it again. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. Age or physical condition should not be a consideration in our attitude toward life and death. Ignoring our eventual, our eventual death will not, will not prevent it. Sometimes we think if we don't talk about it, it'll go away. But it doesn't. Refusing to plan for it does not postpone the inevitable. Well, what do you think the morality rate is for those living in Larimer County? I was very interested to discover that it is 100%. 100% of the people living in Larimore County someday will die. Imagine that. Imagine that. But we live as though that isn't going to happen. COVID has shown us that. We are just a breath away from ceasing to exist here on this earth. Why do we reserve the topic of dying for those in their 80s and 90s or those with a terminal illness. None of us knows how many days remain for us on this earth. God knows, but we don't. The Apostle James boldly asserts that no one, no one has a right to boast about the future. You might recognize these verses. He's very blunt. I just like that about James. There's a lot of blunt things in James. And in chapter 4, verses 13, 14, and 15, he says, and, and again I quote, Look here, you people who say, Today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town, and we will stay there for about a year. We will do business there and make a profit. And then he thunders, How do you know what will happen tomorrow? For your life is like the morning fog. It's here for a little while, and then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, or we will live and do this or that. James is reminding us, like it or not, that tomorrow might, may not come for some of us. 
considering this fact, I believe we're logically forced to acknowledge that each day of life, anything that we accomplish in this world is through the grace of God. I saw a few little nods, but I didn't hear any amens. Oh, okay, okay, thank you. I just wanted to make sure you were still, still tracking with me, okay. In the days before emails and cell phones, some of you remember that? We sometimes call them the olden days, the olden days. When letter writing, do you know what I mean? Writing a letter by hand, putting it in an envelope, addressing the, and putting a stamp on, it's kind of a lost art. Some of you that are younger here may not know what that's like to write a letter or to send a postcard. But I remember watching my grandfather as he was writing letters, and I learned a lot from my grandpa, grandfather, whom we called Papa. And uh, I noticed at the end of his letters, he put the, the initials DV. DV, I was trying to figure out. I know AM and PM, and I know a few others, but DV, I, so I asked him, what DV stood for, and he explained it was the abbreviation for the Latin words, Deo Volente, God willing. I often say today, see you tomorrow, Lord willing. Or we will take up this matter at our next monthly meeting, Lord willing. What a sane way to live. We will do this or that must be preceded by if the Lord wills. If it's the Lord's pleasure, we will meet next month, or we will do this or go there. What a sane way to live. What a logical way to reason. What a healthy way to think. Wouldn't you agree? We sign the letters of our lives, DV, God willing. If it is the Lord's will, if it's what the Lord wants, how about your life? Do you sign it with DV, God willing? Jesus tells the parable of a man in Luke chapter 12 who boasts about his future. He has everything that life can offer. His only problem seems to be adequate storage. I guess he didn't know about the, the freestanding self-storage units that we have away from home today. Can you imagine how many there are? I mean, it seems like everywhere I go, there's row after row after row because people don't have enough place for their stuff. And so they have to put it there. Well, this man thought, before all of that was possible, I guess I'll just have to tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Well, let me read it to you right from the Bible. Verses 18 and 19 of Luke chapter 12. He says... I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store everything. And I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God judges him a myopic fool for his Epicurean mentality and assures him that his soul will be required of him that very evening. What good then would be his, his material possessions? Did he think he could put his stuff in a U-Haul and take it with him when he went? 
How could he have been so blind? Sometimes I ask myself, how could I be so blind? How can we be so blind? What really matters in life? What will last for eternity? What would your answer be if someone would ask you that question? What's really important in life? What will last for eternity? I often think of the plaque that hang in my Nana and Papa's home that declared, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Have any of you seen that or heard that in the past? I wish I had thought of that, but I didn't. I'm not that clever. But I remembered it. There it was as I would walk in. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Think about that. Is there some truth to that? Does it kind of go along with what we're talking about here? I hope so. We want to be ready to go, but willing to stay. And while we are staying, we want to be living each day for Christ. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. As Christians, we believe that. And life can change so quickly, can't it? Just think back. Some of you can think back decades. So can I. Um, some of the financial crises we've experienced. They, they can come and pounce and devour us before we know what hit us. Or consider this COVID-19 COVID plague that hit so suddenly and with such ferocity. Who knew how deeply it would alter our way of life and how the effects would be felt around the world? Our sense of security and well-being and health and our very lives are still being threatened, aren't they? under a cloud of isolation, uncertainty, and fear. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Please bear with me as I draw upon yet another country singer. And it was the year now is 2013, and the singer is, and songwriter is now Tim McGraw. And he, write, he writes a song, maybe you've heard it, Live Like You Were Dying. Now, if you know it, well, first of all, let me assure you I'm not going to sing it this morning. I, that would be quite entertaining, maybe the highlight for some or the low light for others, I don't know. But at any rate, let me just tell you the words, refresh the words, and if you don't know them, think about what he's saying in light of what we've said so far. He said... I was in my early 40s with a lot of life before me when a moment came that stopped me on a dime. I spent most of the next days looking at the x-rays, talking about the options and talking about sweet times. I asked him when it sank in that this might really be the end. How has it hit you when you get that kind of news? Man, what you gonna do? He said, I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. And, this is the important part, I loved deeper, and I spoke sweeter, and I gave forgiveness I'd been denying. 
And he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. He said, I was finally the husband that most of the time I wasn't. And I became a friend, a friend would like to have. And all of a sudden, going fishing wasn't such an imposition. And I went three times the year I lost my dad. Well, I finally read the good book. And I took a good look at what I'd do if I could do it all again. And he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying, like tomorrow was the end. And you got eternity to think about what to do with it. What, what will you do with it? What, what can I do with it? What would I do with it to live like you were dying? This is a more modern and popular way to say the same thing that we've been trying to say so far today. What does it mean to live like we are dying? As believers, again, we have the sure hope that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So what do we do while we are still absent from the Lord, present in the body? I want to know when I give a sermon, and you probably do when you try to listen, so what? <laughs> this is all very interesting, but so what? Well, so what? We live like we are dying because we are dying. We are. We never give up. The Bible says, though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. So, I could ask for a show of hands, but I've already told you, everyone should put their hand up if I say, how many of us are dying? We think dying means hospice care. But no, we're in the process of dying from the very beginning. We're born with the seeds of death. How sad that is, and the theology of all that is, a, is a, the subject of another day. But we are dying. So, how are we living? Now, this doesn't have to be a depressing thought. Some of you, I hope, are still tuned in. But it's a realistic perspective. I'm reminded of this at every funeral I lead, or I participate in, or I attend. And the latest here in our church was Mike Harlow just a few weeks ago. Live like we are dying because we are. My wife, Norma, is reading a book entitled Praying the Names of Jesus by Anne Spangler. Some of you ladies might, remember, might recognize that, and some of the men too. I don't want to be sexist in what I'm saying here, but uh, ladies like to study this one. Anyway, Praying the Names of Jesus. Listen to a quote she shared with me just a few days ago. Anne writes, I know someone who is dying, though you wouldn't know it to look at her. Her cheeks aren't sunken or sallow. She laughs frequently. She sleeps well, has a hearty appetite, and tries to exercise regularly. She has two small children who drive her on alternate days, either to delight or to distraction. From the outside, her life looks good, but she's dying, wasting away. Her body is deteriorating. 
wilting toward the earth that will one day swallow her whole. Still, you wouldn't notice it to pass her on the street. On a good day, she might even be whistling. Even her friends don't know how limited her days are. So how do I know she's dying? I know because the person I'm talking about is me. We live like we are dying because we are. Ready to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord, but willing to stay here on the earth if the Lord wills. Ready to go? Willing to stay. Living each day for Jesus the Christ. That's my ideal. And I got my start decades ago from David Brainerd. I wanted to share that with you today. Ready to go, willing to stay, making each day count for Christ, because only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. So I asked myself and I ask you, what am I doing that will last for eternity? What are you doing? I'm not here as a judge, I'm just asking the question. You, you be the judge between you and the Lord. How am I making the most of every opportunity to, to do good now while I am still in the body here on earth? How, what am I doing to serve the Lord now while I still can? What am I doing to make a difference in the world now? Each of us like it or not, realize it or not, acknowledge it or not, each of us is living on the verge of eternity. So let's just take a couple minutes before we close this, this part of the service and ask ourselves some questions, honestly and thoughtfully. If I knew that Christ were coming tomorrow, how would I spend today? How would I spend my last day? Would I do anything differently if I knew that tomorrow I was to climb on the bus, so to speak, using that illustration. If I knew that I had only six months to live, what would I want to accomplish in those six months? If I knew that I had only two years to live, what arrangements would I make? What relationships would I repair? What confessions would I make? What sins would I forgive? What gifts would I bestow? What causes would I support? What advice would I give to my family? How 
does my life prove that I am willing to live a long time, but ready to go at any minute, at any moment, at any time? How does my life show that I subscribe to the proclamation, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last? Can I say with the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. Can we say that? Do we really believe that? To me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. Only as believers can we capture the thrill of this revolutionary perspective and realize a life of satisfaction, fulfillment, and peace as ones who are living on the verge of eternity. Living on the verge of eternity. Living on the verge of eternity. Live like we are dying, because we are.